The last two weeks have seen a global explosion of hurt and outrage touched off by the police murder of George Floyd. Systemic racism has been a cancer for a long time, for far too long. The Floyd murder was really just the spark that lit a long overdue fire. Companies understandably and admirably want to take action, much more action than they have in the past anyway. That's an opportunity for progress, and CCOs ought to be out front, but it's not always apparent what to do. Page Chair Charlene Wheelis has convened two conversations among our members to share ideas about the concrete steps that they can take to address systemic racism within their organizations and across business and society at large. It's an issue that Charlene has been a fierce advocate for throughout her career, and as a black woman in America, it's one she has far too much personal experience with. Today we'll hear from Charlene about what's happening, what needs to be done about it, and how CCOs can lead the charge. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Elliot, when this first started, it was really around George Floyd and that horrific video that we saw on replay again and again and again. And I thought, this is, this is crazy. I cannot believe what's, in, what's happening before my eyes. But then there was also the Ahmad Aubrey murder, which was where basically a man was hunted down. Uh, then we had the situation in New York with Amy Cooper that really struck me. And I started putting these things together and I said to myself, this is not a case of police brutality. This is coming from many different areas and many different directions. And we are, we are about to have a very public and visible racial crisis on our hands. And companies are not going to know what to do. And in my experience as an, a communications executive, when companies don't know what to do, they stay silent. And this time though, there, there wasn't just one isolated incident. There were so many incidents so close together that you could no longer pretend there wasn't a problem. You can't say it's just police brutality. You, know, you had to acknowledge that this is a social justice, this is a racial justice, and this is a very human and business issue. You know, what's really interesting about what's happening in America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect. Please don't come close to me. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. How one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece. And in the end creates a giant wave. Tonight with a mounting national chorus decrying police brutality against black Americans. At a rally, Mayor Jacob Frey was booed for saying no to dismantling the police department. I didn't get the chance to say goodbye while he was here. I was robbed of that. But I, but I know he's looking down at us now. Look up at what you did, big brother. You changed the world. Thank you for everything, for taking care of us on earth, for taking care of us now. I hope you find mama and you can rest in peace with power.
So I thought that as a uh, black female communications executive, chair of PAGE, uh, that this was the perfect opportunity for PAGE to really lead on social change and on changing people's mindset because we can tap into the leading CCOs in the world. So I saw a great opportunity and it was coupled with an intense passion around the treatment of Black people. Trevor Noah said that it's not that this is happening more often, it's just that it's being filmed. What's been your reaction to how society seems to be uh, reacting in this moment since, you know, this is a little bit of a broken record situation, right? Is, is this different in any way, in your view? I think this is very different because of the power of the visual. And I agree with uh, Trevor Noah that this has been happening for a very, very long time. But when it's not right in front of your face, you can pretend that it doesn't really happen or that it doesn't touch you, right? This is, well, that's them. Maybe they were criminals. Maybe you, you find ways to explain it away. But again, when you've got this, what I consider kind of this trifecta of events going on, you, you can't pretend anymore. And that's, to me, what makes this different. I also think that the, um, the younger generations are, uh, are engaged, and they understand almost instinctively social justice and the importance of, of equality. And they took to the streets. And this is, um, you know, I was born in the 60s. Uh, but I was too young to, to walk in any of the protests. But, you know, I, I know history. Uh, and this is the first time that I've seen such a multicultural group of people together protesting on behalf of Black people and Black lives. And I saw on television uh, one clip uh, on the news where you had the riot patrol with all of their equipment and almost everybody standing in the front line were not black faces, they were white faces. And this said to me, America has had enough. And we have reached that tipping point where things just have to change. And people are going to demand that people change because you can't see the visual and not care. You have to be completely heartless to see the visual and not care. Yeah, I'm going to take you back just a, a, a little bit farther or a lot farther, if you will, and talk a little bit about the Black lived experience. Because I think what people who aren't Black don't understand is that um, these aggressions, whether you want to call them micro and macro aggressions, happen to us every day, um, all our lives. And um, in, uh, in my book, I talk about, you know, one of my very first challenges in life was trying to learn how to be a black girl in the United States and in a country that I was born into, but that didn't value. Um, little black girls. And um, throughout my life, it's been very interesting to me because throughout my life, um, when I think I have overcome the, um, the, the barrier, the racial barrier, something happens to remind me that I haven't. 
uh, cases in point, when I was in seventh grade, I tried out for um, for cheerleader, and um, I just thought I'd never even really heard of cheerleaders, but it sounded like a really fun thing, and I had a little bit of talent, so I tried out, and I made the um, fourth alternate. Okay, so to make the fourth alternate means that like you know four people have to be kicked off the team for some reason in order for me to get on the team. And the, the sponsor of the team at that time, they weren't called coaches. The sponsor of the team was also my math teacher. And one day about a month in or so, she put me on the cheerleading team. Uh, one of the girls had to drop out because she was um, pregnant with twins, um, which gives you a sense of the, um, the background that I come from. And uh, I was naive enough to ask her um, why she put me on the team ahead of the other alternates. And she said, well, you know, Charlene, you're a black girl, so we thought you would be a lot of trouble. And now that I have you in class, um, I see that you're really just a nice little girl. Okay. And so at that point, I'm 11 or 12 years old. And so imagine what that does to your sense of self and your sense of value. Um, but I but I got over that, right? When I was in high school, I have a lot of cheerleading stories because I was a cheerleader most of my life, but when I was in high school, um, I remember sitting in our gym with the cheerleading team and we were counting off. Now, at this point, I'm 15, 16 years old. You know, we're counting off any, mini miny mo. And the coach of the team um, is counting off and she's saying, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch Charlene by the toe, right? Um, if you're a racist, you know that people say the N-word instead of where I've just said my name, right? So here I am in high school, an all-American cheerleader. I've accomplished something, yet still that racial barrier is there. Then you fast forward to work. You know, you put your head down, you work really hard. um, You don't get the recognition that that you think you deserve. And people tell you, um, well, you know, you just don't quite fit, right? And what they're really saying is, I'm not comfortable with you as a Black person, And then they start um, picking you apart. You know, well, can you try to fit in a little more? Can you maybe dress a little differently? When you state a case, you you seem to be too passionate about it. Can you pull it back, right? Which is basically them saying, don't be the angry black woman, right? And then if I just fast forward a few more years, when uh, my husband and I decided to get married, and uh, we are an interracial couple, my husband is white, um, my mother-in-law begged him not to marry me and said that he was ruining his life. Those are just a few instances, but for black people, we get this every single day. You know, we go to work, we, we walk into meetings, and we see that people are uncomfortable with us. You know, I've, people have told me that I'm threatening. It's like, I'm five, six and 130 pounds. How threatening can I be? 
right? But you see it at work all the time. And I'll just give you, I know I'm going on, but I'll just give you one more example. I was in, um, when I worked for a, um, a very large defense contractor, uh, I had a partial uh, operations role as well as a communications role. And one of the areas that came under me was um, security. And uh, we had a security incident and uh, a gentleman called me to, uh, to tell me about it. And, I, and we spoke and I said, well, this is great. I said, but let me ask you, you know, why didn't you call the head of security who's very competent and who, who was a black man? And he said, the guy on the phone to me said, well, you know, this guy, the head of security, he's black and I'm just afraid that he's going to um, turn it into a, a, being about a black thing. And I paused and I said to the gentleman on the phone, I said, you and I have never met, have we? And he says, no, 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 I look forward to meeting you. And I said, well, tell me where you sit on our campus and I'll come see you tomorrow. Right, so it's these little things that happen that are chip away at you just enough to tell you that you're, you're not worthy. So I went on there a little bit. No, I'm, I'm glad that you did, Charlene. That is, I'm just struck by it. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I have the, the fortune in a lot of ways of not being a, a black male because um, black men have it hard uh, in, this, in this country, as we know. And quite frankly, I don't think there's ever been a good time to be a black person in America. Um, not 400 years ago, not in 1968, and not today. But I'm hoping that we're seeing that uh, that change. But I will tell you, as I as a successful executive, when I get pulled over by the police, I still know to make sure when that policeman walks up to my car that my hands are visible. And I know to, when he asks me for my registration, to say, I am now reaching for my registration, which is in my glove compartment. And I also know that because I'm driving a luxury car, that I'm going to have to show proof that I own that car. And I'll say even, um, there used to be times uh, early on in our marriage, because my husband made much more money than I did, um, my car was always in his name. So when I would show the, um, the registration, then I would get questioned about who, who's Greg, because we didn't initially have the same last name. It took me a while to change my name. And so then I'd get questioned, and I knew where it was going. It was, you know, how did you get this car? You know, for men, black men, it's did you steal this car? For um, black women, it's just a little bit more sinister than that. Hmm. So Charlene, this is probably just a handful of instances among so many over your life and that you've brought into your leadership as a CCO. What kinds of things have you tried to do within the organizations that you've led to help change that reality? You know, I'm the, um, I am the voice that won't be quiet, 
right? So, you know, when I was um, early in my career, and the first time that I became a vice president and an executive, I was uh, I was 40 years old. And a young woman came in to see me. She's also um, Black. And she had said to me that she was so glad that I was at the company because it gave her hope that people that look like us could actually be successful in the company. So, you know, I, I noodled on that for a while after she and I spoke and I thought, okay, I have a responsibility here to, um, that this isn't just about me. And so I need to be the voice that's saying, well, if we say we're about diversity, what does that really mean? Right. And, you know, asking the question, you know, where are all the black people or where are all the people of color? Right. So, and I've also tried in, in every company that I've been in, not only to um, mentor and sponsor um, women of color and men actually of color, I've also tried to be very, very visible um, in the companies that I've worked in and not to further my own career, but so that people could see that yes, a black executive can be successful in the company. And I'd say I've lived my life that way for the past 20, 30 years. And being uh, right now, being at the chair of Page, I could not be more honored to be the chair of Page right now while all of this is going on, um, particularly because I'm not afraid to speak out and I'm not afraid to ask others and implore others to speak out as well. What would be your message to your fellow page members in this moment? Do something. And I would say do something meaningful. You know, one of my biggest concerns with this as this continues to play out, uh, and most of the public images are about uh, George Floyd and uh, and certainly the, his funeral. And I hope certainly that his, um, his family is doing the as well as they can. But I also think that there's this something else is going on and um, America is missing the point because the point is not, um, it's the point is not just police brutality. The point is how African-American or black people are viewed and treated in this country and CCOs can be the voice in their corporations to make sure that this is not a um, a one and done or, okay, that's over. Now let's move on to the next issue. This is a total sea change and a total opportunity for America to turn a corner. And CCOs can be at the front of that because they have the ear of their CEOs and the executive suite, and they have the ear of the employees. And so CCOs are in one of the best positions to create change in our country and change in our world. And we have to start by doing something, by speaking up, by holding our CEOs accountable. 
you know, and, and let's be honest, I think that right now in the U.S., there are only in the Fortune 500, I think there are only four or five um, black CEOs. So that means there are a lot of companies out there, big, successful companies with CEOs who aren't black and who probably don't know what to do. And they may even be afraid to step out because if they say the wrong thing, then maybe they'll lose their job, right? So to me, for CCOs, if we don't do something in all of our organizations, then shame on us because we have never had an opportunity like we do now to drive meaningful change. Sorry, I get a little passionate about this. Please don't ever apologize for that. (laughs) So our profession hasn't really been known for its diversity. It's heavily white and male, and, and especially so as you get to the most senior levels. As Paige Chair, I know that's something that you're helping to change through an organized industry effort. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Something I am extremely passionate about uh, changing. And I would say, um, you know, a failing at it is not an option. And what we've done uh, most recently is we've been working with other partners like the PRSA Foundation, uh, PR Council, and IPR, among other organizations, to create a, a diversity action alliance where we will go to uh, all of our members and ask them to sign a commitment to take action on diversity. And we use an acronym called uh, ACT. Uh, One is that we want them to adopt best practices and we're going to help them. Uh, The second, uh, the C is for championing the cause. And that's not just giving lip service to the cause, that's really championing it within your organization. And then the T is for track. We want to track our diversity data within our industry. You know, I think one of the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of change in the profession is uh, because there hasn't been much transparency into the numbers as a profession. So we don't know if we're, if we're changing or not. And the Diversity Action Alliance and our commitment is really designed to provide that transparency um, so that we can see the data. Now, I will say that we are going to aggregate the data. We are not going to, um, to call anyone out. This is not about, you know, organization shaming. It's about making a real measurable difference in, in diversity within our profession. And uh, I know that there have been lots of other uh, organizations and efforts and initiatives tried, not necessarily by us, but by others. And, uh, and people often criticize these and say, well, it's more talk and not enough action. And I agree with them. Where I think Diversity Action Alliance is different is that we are going to measure and we are going to stay on top of our members uh, who take the commitment and make sure that um, most, if not all, of our members actually do make a commitment. And so for the naysayers, you know, I hear you. But um, the best I can say is just, you know, watch us work and, you know, hold our feet to the fire because we're going to be holding our own feet to the fire. The last two weeks, you've led conversations with Page and Page Up members focused on this issue and most recently on what CCOs can do practically. What do you think are some practical things that CCOs ought to be doing to help make that change within their organization and 
outward? Well, I, I think that um, I think that what needs to happen is going to uh, come about somewhat slowly as people get comfortable. But I think with our CCOs, practical um, steps that they can take is start the conversations and the listening tours around your organization with your CEOs and your leadership and your employees and help everybody understand the black lived experience. Because I believe you have to come at this from a point of understanding, a point of uh, compassion and a point of empathy. And you can't do that if you aren't educated on what's happening. And the black lived experience outside the walls of the business um, are going to be different than it is for your black employees inside. So I always encourage people to start with the conversations. You know, after the note has gone out, and we've seen many um, you know, CEO uh, letters that have gone out, but then engage your employees and create a safe space to have the uncomfortable conversation. From there, I think the next piece is to get your CEO and your executive teams to do a bit of self-reflection on how are they contributing to the microaggressions or within the company or to how their employees feel and what are their, what are their policies. You know, and CCOs can keep those, keep those things going. And then the third piece is, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And may, having those strategic discussions, because this is, uh, as I said, it's a social and human issue, but this is a business issue. And employees are going to vote with their feet. And I, I think that there's a risk that companies are going to fall into a false sense of security because of the economic recession. And I think CCOs should do everything they can by talking to employees, talking to executives, looking at their policies, um, keeping the lines open, and then supporting the organizations that can really make a difference. You know, we have some big brands that, um, that have a lot of of spending power, a lot of buying power, whether it's advertising or other platforms, use those platforms for social good. Look at some of the companies that are leaders like the PNGs and the General Mills. You know, take a lesson from them and see what you can do. And also contact your local officials and work with the local officials where your company is located and develop a partnership or a collaboration to address these issues. And I think all of those things can be led by CCOs. Also, I would say on a more personal side that uh, CCOs can also coach employees on what they can and can't do or should or shouldn't do. You know, as an example, and it's, it's, a, it's a simple one, um, but I tell people to tell, you know, HR directors to tell their, their employees uh, and colleagues to stop telling people that they don't see color, right? When someone says to me they don't see color, they're telling me that they don't see me. You know, so there are some very small, you know, practical things. Don't go to your black colleagues and ask them to educate you on what's happening. You know, educate yourself. There is enough information out there that you can educate um, yourself. You know, don't, you know, you don't need to walk around with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on if that's not what you believe. And be vulnerable. 
it's okay to not know what to say. And again, these are all things that CCOs can create. We can create a safe space in our organizations. Charlene, it's, I think, our history, if not as a country, then maybe as a species, to be really focused on something for a little while and then mm -hmm. move on to the next thing when the next existential crisis arises. Right. What is it going to take to sustain this commitment beyond this time? Uh, I believe it's going to take uh, all of the things that I said before around not letting the conversation stop uh, and understanding the conversation that really needs to be taking place, which is not solely, again, about police brutality. It's about equity. It's about um, not just putting your money where your mouth is, but it's kind of show me, don't tell me. But the biggest changes are going to happen in communities and they're, they're going to happen locally. And I think people need to be educated about the elected positions within their communities, because in many cases, you know, the sheriff is voted in. I think companies need to look at their PACs a little bit differently, their political action committees, not just at the federal level, but very much at the local level. Uh, and I, I think the, um, the conversation just has to keep happening. I, um, I read the other day that, um, uh, that our Al Sharpton is having a, um, a march in, on Washington in August. Um, now, you know, I'll probably attend, but, you know, I, I have my feelings about Al, Al Sharpton and how he goes about things. But if people get distracted, you know, if we have, you know, the American ADD and go on to the next thing, he's going to br bring us back to this in August. And I'm excited about that because that means, again, the conversation is going to continue, but it's going to take everybody. There's a, you know, uh, black people have a role in this. White people have a role to play in this. Um, we all do. We are all in this together. And by the way, when we start fighting racism and say, you know, even the people who are not the, um, are not the ones who are victimized, say, this is not okay. Society will correct itself. Charlene, those are all the questions I had for you. Um, <laughs> Did I answer them appropriately for you? I, I thought it was amazing. Um, I mean, I actually can't wait to listen to it again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my, my only observation was that you didn't mention the book. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Charlene, what are you doing personally on this? I'm doing a few things personally that I'm very proud of. Uh, one is I've just finished the manuscript of, uh, of my book, the first book I've ever written. Uh, it's coming out uh, either late fall or early in 2021, and it's called You Are Enough reclaiming your career and your life with purpose, passion, and unapologetic authenticity. And the purpose of my book really is to empower people to be able to be the directors of their own lives and their careers um, on their terms to the extent they can. And what I mean by that is, you know, 
Minorities, Blacks especially, have to turn themselves inside out and up and down and around to fit into this corporate culture of what is expected in order to be successful. And I don't think that that needs to be the case going forward. So over my 30 plus year career, I've uh, picked up some what I call lessons from being invisible. And in the book, I offer those lessons and solutions and also how I used, uh, used those lessons to help me get through a, a cancer diagnosis and a cancer journey and that has lasted almost uh, four, uh, four years. So that's one thing I'm doing. Uh, the other is I have launched a, a, a consulting business. And while it's not focused on um, diversity exclusively, uh, it's focused, focused on strategic and business communications, but obviously the issue in front of us today is diversity, and I've created um, an intimate session uh, called Uncomfortable Conversations to give people both a safe space to uh, express their lived experience, but also to give uh, 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 white people and uh, people who are not of color a safe space to ask questions and get answers that they wouldn't normally get. Uh, and then I'm also uh, working on my uh, speaker platform to take my uh, lecture series called Lessons from Being Invisible uh, National. That's great. Um, Charlene, thanks so much for your time here. Thank you, Elliot. You know, you're my hero. I'm your hero? Of course. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine a world where that could be possible, but thank you. <laughs> I'd like to take a moment to thank our podcast sponsors for this year, Rivet, which is our podcast producer, and Crisp Thinking. Crisp Thinking uses AI and human intelligence to protect global brands from the weaponization of communication and the spread of misinformation. You can find out more at crispthinking.com. You can find out more about Rivet at rivet360.com. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at Page, please visit us at page.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the new CCO.